On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are investigating a small-town murder with Kate Winslet in Sky's Mayor of Easttown, star-fucking with Rose Matafeo in BBC Three's Starstruck, and finding out what the devil got up to pre-Lucifer in Rush with Tom Ellis. But that's not it. We also have a guest this week. That's right, Ron D. Moore, the creator of Battlestar Galactica, Outlander, and now For All Mankind, will be on the show as well to tell us a little bit about the latter show's season finale. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that is currently missing a third of its regular team. As you may remember, Terry moved to Manchester this week, so it's presumably throwing shapes at the Hacienda at this very moment uh, and unable to be here for this week's show. But fret not, because joining TV's Boyd Hilton and myself today and making her triumphant return to the Pilot TV Podcast after months away is a woman upon whose life semi-biographical hit TV series this country was partially based, and the only woman alive to watch Battlestar Galactica and remain entirely unseduced by its considerable charms. It is the one, the only, Beth Webb. Have you been, Beth? I'm good. I'm good. I'm thrilled to be back. Thank you. What a wonderful <laughs> intro as always. You're completely right. They did base part of this country on my my very own uh, origins. So thank you for recognising that. I yeah. wish that BAFTA yeah. did also. But credit where credit's due. What can you do? Um, but no, so happy to be back. Good. Okay. What is this mug? You were drinking something out of a mug, which has some <laughs> kind of... Uh, who, oh, it's Troy and Arbid. Oh, it's a community mug. <sighs> In that's the good. See, that you know what's good. really funny is I was actually, and this is absolutely true, last night while watching Game of Thrones, for some reason I had the Disco Spider song in my head. Uh, Donde esta la biblioteca. Uh, I can't remember the next line because my Spanish is terrible. But uh, genuinely, so I had a bit of community going around, so perhaps it was a premonition. Maybe so, maybe so. But yeah, it brings a little bit of a little bit of, of cheer and sunshine to my uh, morning. So Very yeah. nice. Yeah. Now, Beth, something that, uh, that, that has been happening recently for reasons I can't fully understand, is uh, we've been describing collective nouns or, or sort of noodling around fandom nomenclature. So, yes. Uh, yes. So the Terriers are yes. what we have been describing Terry's passionate band of, of, of you know, advocates. Uh, and the problem we had last week was we couldn't remember the ones specified for Boyd. So I canvassed some of our followers on Twitter to find out what they thought. And a few have come up. Uh, the fan Boyds seem to be a fairly, fairly straightforward one. I thought that was quite good. The lost Boyds, quite like that. A little bit, a little bit edgy, a little bit out there. The Boyds of Summer. I thought that was nice too. Uh, we also suggested the Proud Boyds, which brings with it its own yeah. sheriff. Like, I love Proud Boyds, yeah. yeah. No. Named um, after the fascist uh, incel group. Yeah, uh, yeah. Proud Which Boys, yeah. isn't exactly Great. on brand. But no. um, what, uh, boy, do you have a preference? Anyone that you'd like to, to grace um, with your stamp of approval? <laughs> Quite like the Boys of Summer because Boys of Summer by Donald <laughs> Fagan is one of my favourite songs. Not Donald Fagan, um, the other dude from the Eagles. Uh, anyway, it's one of my favourite songs. someone I don't remember. It's by one of my favourite songs. Remember because my brain has gone to mush. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don Henley. Yes, Don Henley uh, is one of my favourite songs. So, yeah. Um, even though it's rather limiting, it's limited to that season. Or something. But yeah, Boyds of the Summer. Boyds of Summer. Boyds okay, of summer good. Great. We, ha we have a winner. Beth, Beth, what would yours be? Well, first of all, I would like to say I'm a diehard terrier. So um, <laughs> you, can, you can put me in that. We've got jackets with it, like, in you know, like the Lucifer jackets, but it says terrier. As we said, you can't be a diehard terrier. It's really only one or the other, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, oh, don't make me choose. It's too early. Uh, oh, the Web Slingers. The Web Slingers. Oh, that's, that's good. good. Yeah. That's really I'll good. Do that. Yeah. Yeah, web that's slingers. good. Agile, yeah. you know, you find us at buildings. Yeah, yeah very good. Web slingers. Web slingers. Welcome okay. all. 
we're gonna have some kind of West Side Story esque face off, I think, between these disparate groups. <laughs> yeah, it seems inevitable. It seems inevitable. Yeah. We'll see what Fantastic. happens here. But after, after we've stopped, after we've stopped throwing shapes at the Hacienda, I still haven't got over you indeed. uttering that phrase in the intro. By the way, don't, don't, you know don't think it's gone past without being noticed. <laughs> I'm thinking of that showdown, and I think it would be like in um, Anchorman, you know, where they show up yeah. with the, um, yeah. and someone throws, and, and um, yeah. Steve Girl's character throws like a spear through someone on a horse. A yeah, trident, yeah. a trident. <laughs> yeah. Kill the guy with the trident. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can have this face off at the Hacienda in Manchester if mm. you prefer. Do it. I'll see you Let's go up I'll to see, see. we'll go up and visit. Visit Her Majesty. And, now, uh, we'll... side note, side note, is the Hacienda still there? Is it a thing? I think it is now, I think it is, but I think it's now mainly um, luxury apartments, I think. Oh, oh I wow. may be wrong, but I'm, I'm been, pretty sure. It's been gentrified. Yeah, um, I think it's been gentrified, yeah. See, um, I'm, I'm not saying the Hacienda was, when thinking of this introduction, the literal only thing I could think of about Manchester. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but, it, but it was. It, it was, yeah. Well, yeah, see you there. I'll bring my nunchucks. Good, 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 good. Right, <laughs> let's move straight on to what we've been watching. Beth, you haven't been on for months. What have you been watching in the last three or four months? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, yeah, it was January, wasn't it? So I think outside of the James Dyer canon, I've I've completed television now. I've just I've done it. <laughs> James Dyer I've canon, done it oh, my all. God. Because there were just, I, I don't know. I mean, we're coming out of it now, so it feels less relevant, but there were just some weeks where I was just like, right, well, let's just get the fundamentals done of the day, washing, eating, <laughs> whatever minimal amount of work I can wrap my, my little lockdown brain around and then just whatever vast escapism I can I can get away with in, a, in how many hours in a day I can watch. So, oh, everything. The leftovers, done. Sopranos, wow. now done. Wow. Most of Better Call Saul. T- Ted Lasso twice. Yes. <sighs> that wow. was that was the lockdown. That's good. Like salve, I thought, was Ted Lasso. <laughs> Bob's Burgers, done. Central Park, done. I love Central Park. I don't think that's really had enough credit, but really, really, really enjoyed that. The animation was like... Catherine Hahn and um, David Diggs and Leslie yeah. Odom Jr. Brilliant. Done. We Mythic don't really Quest. do animation, so you, you should be our animation correspondent. Yeah, yeah. you well, should. It's, should. It's a proper blind spot for us, actually, that yeah. we're all a bit snobbish about cartoons. And actually... I'm not yeah. even snobbish. I think we're just a bit kind of... Old? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, the cast on it. So it was Catherine Hahn, uh, Titus Burgess, who I love. Stanley Tucci is like a 50-year-old oh, woman in Amazing. it with, with a little dog. Uh, and this was Catherine Hahn straight off Agatha as well. So I was like... And they're all singing. They've got these great songs in it. There's there's a song just made up of, of trivia about Home Alone 2. Uh, so it's it's Fair. really wild and fun and, and catchy, and um, so that was great. Done that. Mythic Quest done. Ah, um, Mythic Quest. Ah, yes. Yeah, so the new season uh, of that is mm. is imminent. And I'm like, really because we excited. didn't review season one of Mythic Quest on this podcast, and so I'm thinking mm. we're going to have to do season two because it is genius. I've not watched all of it, but I've seen a fair few episodes, and it's very funny. It's fantastic. I absolutely love it. Uh, so that was great. Uh, what else am I on now? And then this week. <laughs> This week I started Line of Duty, so that is... You've just started, that's amazing. Finger on the pulse as always. Where are you up to? Uh, I'm only two episodes in. I was like, well, I have (laughs) to, you know. Much as I've just enjoyed Mondays on Twitter where everybody's blood pressure has, like, seemed to have gone up by about 1,000, 2,000%. But um, no, because I follow... Craig Parkinson on on Twitter, mm. who I love, like, yeah. and I think he listens to the podcast. So hello, if you're if you're listening, but I've seen he's been answering a lot of fan questions, and it just seems like a really nice community. And 
I thought, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, because he hosts the official um, BBC Sounds uh, podcast about Line of Duty. Yeah. 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 So, um, so does that mean it, when I'm about to talk about Line of Duty a little bit, that it's even though it's not really a spoiler, it might be a spoiler for you because you're four or five you seasons what, behind. I wonder if, if that much has changed that it just won't really... Yeah, it won't. It won't. It'll be fine. I'm aware, fine. I'm aware of like some of the basic stuff. Like I'm aware that something grisly and horrible happens to my dear, beloved Stephen Graham, which oh, I'm yeah, just yeah. directing. Yeah. Right. Um, but I'm a few episodes in and, and obviously it's fantastic. I'm on, on the... Like it's, it, you know, it just got to the stage now where I was like, I can't not watch yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. So. I mean, Boyd. Yeah. Respecting the spoiler code, like we yeah. need to talk about Line of Duty. <laughs> we do. Well, what we can say, you know, I, so just as I wanted to touch upon the fact that talking of the spoiler discussion, right? So this is not a spoiler. What I'm about to say is okay. not a spoiler. And I'm about to explain why it's not a spoiler. So right. this goes out on Monday. And in the Sunday, ep- Sunday's episode five that everyone mm. will have just watched, except Beth, who's five series behind maybe i'll just um, do like the equivalent of putting my fingers in my ears i'm just gonna look out the window for a bit okay it'll be fine because the character one about to it's the character anna, anna maxwell martin is yes, back as carmichael right? as carmichael <laughs> this incredible character who first arrived in the last series to be the kind of woman who's interrogating ac12 particularly ted hastings um and she's back now this was announced specifically by the BBC this week on Tuesday. It was embargo to Tuesday when all the TV listings mags came out. And I previewed it in Heat and I mentioned it. She was back. And and we were given a photo of her by the BBC to tell everyone (laughs) that she is back. It's not a spoiler. We're announcing in advance. That's what we're doing with this particular thing. And still... When I mentioned on Twitter, I get people going, spoiler. And I'm like, then I had to retweet the BBC's now. So going, it's not a spoiler when the people who show the show are telling you it in advance deliberately. Or, or they are as guilty of spoilers as you are. One or the other, Boyd. <laughs> well, One or the no, other. A spoiler is a thing that you're not supposed to know about a show. It's not a thing that you want. they want you to know about a show. Mm. They've taken that decision. It's up to them. It's their show. It's their rules. Yeah, I, to be honest, I think, I think you're in a, a slight grey area where I'm prepared to give the benefit of the doubt i think me personally i impose absolute zero tolerance on spoilers but i think if you're going to be as hardline as me the only option is to remove yourself from social media like there really is no other way to do it and to just avoid or because you can't uh, avoid everything yeah um but But, yes you know i was very excited to see Carmichael back. I still cannot square Carmichael with her character in Motherland. Like I, I find know. that really she jarring. is amazing. <laughs> and you know the other thing about Anna Maxwell I happened to I interviewed her once. I've been to a few um, events with her where she's been, mm. you know, in Q and A's with her. And she, she was on Would I Lie to You recently, the best program on TV, as everyone knows. Oh God, she is one. Of, she's got one of the most infectious laughs. I've ever seen on anyone. Yeah, don't in get the that line, line of duty. And, and, and yeah, line of duty. She's this the harshest, most yeah. supercilious, least laughy person yeah, in the world ever. That's her character. And it's like what a brilliant bit of counterintuitive mm. casting that this hysterical person who's so funny and loves laughs and loves laughter is this yeah. bitter, twisted. Um, uh, Passag, the yeah. queen of Passag. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, she's so brilliant. And as brilliant as she was in the last series, her arrival in this episode <laughs> was so brilliantly done. Everything that comes out of her mouth is so oh, dislikable. Yeah. It's brilliant. She's so unlikable that she's kind of likable because she's so entertaining. Yeah. Um, and then how she plays out, what happens to her and what she does in subsequent... I've watched up to episode six, I think you have as well. Yes, indeed. I won't say anything no, about that. we will episode. not at all no. mention anything about but episode six. But she is just a brilliant bit of casting, a brilliant addition to that yeah. show. Could I just say, I love the fact that the whole nation 
was united last week on pausing their mm. televisions, turning their heads upside down to try and see what face <laughs> yeah. was in the dossier. Yeah. Whereas obviously and it was, it was yeah. Kelly McDonald. It was so Kelly McDonald, yeah, yeah. It didn't help that anyone was at very all. Funny. But yeah. it was genius. It's like the whole world is currently doing this. Yeah. Do you know how mad that was for someone who didn't know what was what? going on? Right, yeah. I was just like, what, yeah. what is happening? Yeah, yeah. And isn't, isn't the, um, the cliffhanger is unbelievable isn't it it's like they're toying with us do you remember what i said last week i think i do think Jim mccure is having a great old time like he's loving it because the, the, as, as funny as that's um <laughs> that cliffhanger was in five with who is she related to in the dna that's four isn't it that's the one in four the one in five is the one you're talking about oh, is which it, is oh, the, you're right yeah. sorry you're right yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right, yeah. Getting <laughs> yeah the one in five is this incredible <laughs> yeah. cliffhanger and that's all we can say but, oh, but everyone's is... seen it like everyone at this point has seen oh, yeah. it sorry yeah you're <laughs> although right although we shouldn't say anyway just in case a few people are yeah. like running a yeah, day yeah, late yeah, but last yeah. night's episode would have ended yeah. with another massive yeah. cliffhanger yeah yeah um so yeah he's just brilliant at it it's just i think you're right boy because you mentioned i think it was last week that you thought the line of duty was becoming the avengers endgame of uh of <laughs> yeah. tv crime drama but it really <laughs> is like, all the threads are coming together and the stakes are so much higher like it feels bigger it feels bolder it's more explosive there's action i mean there's so much going on and i think you're right it feels like everything's coming to a head finally yeah. um and really, it needs to, because we are at the stage, I'm at the stage in my life now, where whenever I see a black Land Rover or black Range Rover, <laughs> I think, OCG, OCG. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, it's like it's bleeding yeah. into my brain. Like, I need some kind of resolution to yeah, this whole OCG he, thing. I th And I think he's a great judge of that. And I think he knows that he has to resolve things in a major way this series. I think he can't, I think, don't think you can spin out, you know, what is it they call, the, who formerly, the, the, the person formerly known as H, who they're now looking for. Yeah, that's right. The fourth, man. Was, the fourth man. The fourth man. The fourth man that Ted calls him. Um, he has to give us an answer to that, I think. Yeah. And, and I'm sure he will. But by the way, finally on Out of Duty, let's recognise the fact this is getting 12, 13 million viewers week in, week out. I mean, mm. it is a fucking massive phenomenon. That is like historically huge numbers. You know, mm. TV shows don't get that kind of those figures anymore where we were led to believe. But again, you know, Jim McHugh is like a one man bringing back live weekly serial TV watching. It's a communal yeah. thing. I think it's brilliant. It is a hell of a thing. Oh, we did quite well there, but we thread the non-spoiler needle quite, uh, yeah, quite, quite deftly. Yeah, I, I just so, said yeah. about two, three words in that entire conversation, <laughs> yeah. so that's fine. That's like, OCG! I know what an OCG is! Yeah. <laughs> it's good that we, we, we sort of skirted around the uh, spoilers there. Uh, one of our listeners, a wag named Will Chich, uh, lodged a complaint saying, I would like to request you don't mention there will be spoilers. I really love spoilers, and the warning is a spoiler for the spoiler, which really spoils my spoiler <laughs> experience. Thank you for that, Will. Uh, well, you know, there is a it's a good Please, point. It's a funny anyone. point by Will, but there is that whole discussion as well, which I don't know if we've ever had, I can't remember, about if is if there's a twist in something, even saying there's yes, a twist in it is a spoiler. Is a spoiler. Mm. Yeah, 100%. No, I agree with okay. that. Because then you you're just watching for it and you're more likely to see it. Unless unless you're watching behind her eyes, in which case there is no chance you will ever see it. <laughs> right, but The Sixth Sense would not have made however many no. gazillions of dollars if it hadn't been everyone knowing there's this fucking amazing no. twist. I right? think you're probably right, yeah. But I do. I prefer to go into things completely. But like genuinely, and I'm with JJ Abrams on this. He like he longs for the days where people might have seen a trailer, might not have seen the trailer, but broadly speaking, just went into the theater not knowing anything other than the poster and the name of the film, and it was a complete surprise. Sure. And mm. the internet has kind of fucked all that up. But I, I love going in completely blind, knowing nothing. I'm the opposite of Chris Hewitt, who will literally read the spoilers <laughs> on the internet. He seeks them out, like he wants to know them does before he, he wants to know. Yeah, but he's not the only one. I know someone else who does yeah, that as well. A lot of people do that, yeah, yeah I, I know. Where yeah. Certainly when it's something tense or stressful, they find it, it sort of diffuses the tension a little bit if they know exactly what's going to happen in advance. Yeah. 
so they know they're not sort of weird, blindsided by anything and i think it's absolutely true like if something's traumatic or difficult like i watched promising young woman which we reviewed on the empire podcast last week and i felt physically sick from the beginning to the end of that film it was like a two-hour anxiety attack and a part of that is because i didn't know where it was going and i found it so unbelievably tense that i almost think god i almost i was tempted to just pause it and go and read the wikipedia plot summary <laughs> so i could go back to it and just relax <laughs> a little sure. bit but i think you 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 know you leak some of the power out of these things whether it be a yeah. show or a film if you know what's coming i think it is all about you know taking you on this roller coaster of emotions where you don't know whether you're going to come flying out of your seat and plummet to your death um which <laughs> kind of happened <laughs> for me in that i'm not sure if when emerald fennel wrote <laughs> <laughs> she expected that kind of reaction. I mean, it is it is intense, but it's not. It's kind of still. It's, it's very with a funny light. as it's well. It's very funny as well, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So I'm amazed that you're like two hour anxiety. No, I really. I, I think it's that fantastic. Bizarre. I can never ever watch it again because I don't think my heart is strong enough wow. to survive it. <laughs> I, but, you know, you'll love this. Uh, you know how Scott's? Uh, they're sending me like a pizza thing today. Um, so to tie in with because it starts today Friday on um, Sky Cinema yeah. so doing this promotional thing with certain journalists where they send you a lavish like dinner to watch it to, so I on my social media talk about watching Promising a Woman and so I am going to watch it again while this my while pizza, and a pizza. pizza. Which, which for you pizza. may be really inappropriate yeah. like the, the anxiety attack of pizzas <laughs> genuinely just never eat pizza again no yeah. like it was, it was just I found that film like really really kind of traumatic I really but That's also funny. genius and I think everyone's yeah, watching brilliant. I think yeah. I, think we, I mean, we're talking about films now. It's not a film so, podcast. Yeah, yeah. We talked about this on the Empire <laughs> podcast. It's all crossing the streams left, right, and centre. Yeah. But uh, I do think it's fantastic. I think Mulligan deserves every single plaudit going for that. Her performance is exquisite. Mm. Uh, I know there's been a lot of... Uh, uh, backlash against that film from oh, certain God, quarters. Do me a favour. Let's but, not get into um, that. Yeah, that's yeah. Let's not get so that. much. Helen touched on that a in the other podcast. Film. So if you want oh, to know good. about that, listen to that. I will listen to that. Yeah, I'm sure she's right. <laughs> I wanted to mention Too Close, which we reviewed last week. Right, the um, ITV three-parter with Denise Goff and Emily Watson. And I, I'm an, kind of slightly annoying myself that I didn't watch the whole thing because I watched the whole thing this week. So mm. I think I, only, I think we all only watched one episode, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think, yeah, one or two. Yeah. And it's one of those things, I, I think it's like a, I think it's an absolutely brilliant thing. Uh, uh, did you finish it? Did you watch it? I didn't finish it. it. No, I didn't no. like it though. It's incredible. I have to say it's incredible. And, and it's kind of like, did you watch it, Beth? So, no, I didn't. Uh, no. I think you'll love it because it's like, and it's kind of an interesting bait and switch. I think because episode one feels like a psychological thriller with a clear, like, why done it element going on. And the why done it element does, you know, why is the first thing you see is Denise Goff as a wreck with two kids in a car and she drives the car into a body vault. That's literally the very first scene. Um, and it's like, how, what then, why, why has she done this? So it's all about untying, un, untying why she's done this. And she's this kind of, you know, extremely psychologically damaged person that, Emily Watson's character, a forensic psychiatrist, is interviewing. So it felt very Science of the Lambsy that, that we, we described Ooh. as last week. But really, it, then in episodes two and three, as, this, as it unfolds, it's kind of a proper, it's not even really a genre piece at all. It's not really a kind of crimey thriller thing. It just is, it ends up being, again, I'm trying not to spoil it for people who've watched it, but the reasons why she does what she did are very authentically, realistically explored. And it, I think they've kind of smuggled in, if you like, brilliantly, rather brilliantly, a thing about, it's about kind of prescription drugs and about um, depression and about anxiety and about um, kind of rage kind of for various reasons and trauma and all these things it deals with in a really kind of considered, I mean, the acting is incredible, as you'd expect. But mm. Denise Goff, she's at, she's at a peak level of 
distress in episode one. But then as you see her in both in flashback to when she, what she's grappling with, what she's dealing with, and why she ended up in that state. And then in the end, it's incredibly moving in the end, what happens in the end. So I thought it was, I, I thought it was something that I really liked the first episode, but I kind of thought it was a bit of a, almost like a high-end, luxurious, but essentially, you know, a kind of psychological thriller. But it's much more than that. It's, it's a kind of fantastic. And the fact that it was only three episodes is really interesting. They literally let mm. the story be told in the exact amount of time that it needs to be told without spinning it out. You know, it could have easily been four or five that ITV mm. could have, you know, insisted on it being. But it, it actually feels totally right in the, in the amount of time it was told. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, I would really... like to... I'm watching... I still can't make up my mind if I like it or not. <laughs> and I've nearly finished it, but we've been watching The Flight Attendant. And I yeah, think yeah, that yeah. this... Um, within that kind of murder mystery, it, it has explorations of, of alcoholism and trauma yeah. And, yeah. and PTSD in a way that's really kind of something that I actually wish they'd explore more. So if this show gets that balance better yeah. I'd, mm. I'd, I'd be really interested to see i that. mean there's no lightness in this show no, unlike, there is yeah. it's, 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 it's <laughs> yeah. absolutely yeah there's it, it's like goes from not really dark to unbelievably bleak yeah um uh, across the series and uh, the susan tully directed it absolutely brilliant work directing i think she deserves all the awards going for her for how she directed this the ex eastenders um grange hill actor mm. susan Amazing. tully yeah who was also directed episodes of line of duty she's brilliant perfect um, what else have we been watching? Um, I mean, I'm on season four of uh, my Game of Thrones rewatch, boys. You'd be excited to hear. We just got past the purple wedding. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good, uh, good yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, Beth, you I, remind me. I can't remember if you watched all the Game of Thrones or not. I did. I did indeed. But uh, I think, like a lot of people, my sort of relationship with it was was very marred by that final season. Okay. Um, but were you aware of the fascinating fact that? Rebecca from Ted Lasso is in fact Septa Unella, the shame nun. Well, I was when Nick tweeted it, yeah. <laughs> Nick, oh, oh, Nick always stealing things from the Pilot TV <laughs> podcast. Uh, yes, it's amazing. It is amazing. Because um, she's also one of the mums in um, sex education as well, which I've yes. completely yes. forgotten. She's great in sex education, yes. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd completely forgotten that. Just my yeah. eyes have been opened. Yeah. Just yeah, huge, something that I love, um, something that I desperately crave for myself and yet will never have is this like big fringe energy that she has yeah. and Gillian um, <laughs> Anderson has. I can't explain it. Emma Thompson has it as well. And it's this like mm. platinum gravity defying like <laughs> swoop. And I, I can't, I mean, I'm not even going to try, but it's just held up by their sheer will and like femininity. And I love it. So I'm here for the big... The big fringe energy. Sounds big fun. fringe energy. That's good. Yeah. It's much better than big dick energy. But yeah. Sure. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've had a fringe big or otherwise. But uh, anyway. Um, yes. I uh, no, And so my Game of Thrones rewatch continues apace. What else have I done this week? I have been watching Shadow and Bone, but we can't talk about that oh, because yeah, it's embargoed. Yeah. But we'll get into that next week. <laughs> Obviously, Line of Duty. So you remember, do you remember, Boyd, that mm. I banshied Outcast? Do you remember this? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, Outcast, vaguely. which was a Cinemax show starring Patrick Fugit and Philip Glenister, uh, and it was uh, based on the Robert Kirkman comics, uh, who obviously the man behind The Walking Dead. And yeah. I loved that show, and it did two seasons on Cinemax before it got cancelled, so you never got to find out what happened, and I was gutted, especially because it was kind of stealth cancelled, like you didn't know whether it was coming back or not, and then it just wasn't. So this week, I was like, I just like, I really missed that show, and I kind of thought, shall I rewatch it? And I thought, well, no, because it's just going to be frustrating. I'm never going to know where it goes. So instead of rewatching it, I bought the graphic novel the trade paperback compilations of the outcast comic and i have been devouring the outcast comic 
all week um and i've kind of almost got to the end of it at this point uh, i didn't realize it's actually ongoing so i still don't know the fucking ending <laughs> but so what i'm gonna say to people now is i still recommend that everyone seek out seasons one and two of outcast which is brilliant but then when it finishes and you feel gutted go and pick up the trade paperbacks and then you can find out like as the story continues and it's just nuts so it's, it's about the the kind of basic setup is it's about demonic possession and that there lots of people are getting possessed in this small town and uh uh, this guy Kyle Barnes seems to be the one attracting the demons to people. But then it kind of becomes more: Are they actually demons? Like, what actually? Is, and what is he? Like, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. A lot going on. But uh, yes, I liked it a lot. And it had Brent Spiner from Star Trek: Next Generation. So that's always a good thing too. Always a win. Before Indeed. this recording, I had my first breakfast viewing of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Did you? Um, oh, I did. It's a good one this week. It was a very good one. I had me a case of what I call the uh, Amon breakfast uh, screamies, <laughs> where he messages me about breakfast time every Friday. <laughs> it's been a long-standing tradition since The Mandalorian, where it's just exclamation marks, OMGs, <laughs> lots of R's. Like, inexplicable, because he knows I don't watch it until later, usually. Although today I was here with him. Um, and I know we've had a discussion about spoilers, but all I'll say is the MCU has gained the greatest actress of all time. <laughs> oh, really? I haven't watched it yet. This oh, is the first Boyd. week. You in particular, Boyd, weird, are going to really? lose your shit. Oh, really? You in particular. Is, I got so... Frankly, I got so annoyed at last week's, which I didn't. I thought was. I, I thought it was going downhill rather than. Oh, really? Up so I thought last week's was an improvement. This was up for me, and now oh, I'm finally okay. in, and not just because the best actress of all time yeah. has joined. Oh wow! Oh, oh, boy, it's almost now. like this. This this episode was made for you, Boyd. So I oh, think you, you should definitely watch oh, I've it. I've got that to look forward to because yeah. I, cause, yeah cause I, so I didn't. I didn't watch it at eight o'clock this morning, which I do normally do. That is mm. normal one habit, and I actually didn't. I watched fucking For All Mankind because I've got for, for, <laughs> got for various reasons. You've been salty about that, Boyd. I haven't been no, fine with it. I just had to catch up. That's fine. The new episode came out this morning. It's fine. Um, uh, so I watched that instead, but yeah, oh, I'm excited. That's 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 yeah. That's, yeah. That's very they had exciting. character moments. There was there was oh, all oh, the okay. stuff we've been missing was there, which Some is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, fantastic character development, and the, oh, I can't get into it. But the first time I've really seen one of the heroes change their signature sort of. No, I'm not going to stop. <laughs> but there's a, there's a process that I haven't seen before, yes. which I thought was fantastic. Yes. Um, and those little bits of Wyatt stakes. Russell, man. High stakes. Like, high stakes. Oh, and I've good. gone from thinking, why the fuck is Wyatt Russell this? To like, Wyatt Russell should fucking be in this. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's a really, really great way to just undo all the lovely kind of schlubby work he's done in the past. Like, I'm here. I'm here for it. Just mm. in time for the end. Right. <laughs> so, yes. oh, so yeah. is that, that's the penultimate episode. Penultimate episode. Right. Yes. Right, okay. Penultimate. And then it's it's Loki Carnage, isn't it? Which I yes. just, I'm sure looking forward for. to very much as well. Yeah. Right. Well, that is an array of brilliant things we've been watching and not a hint of reality TV nonsense in there. <laughs> so, Beth, thank you very much for raising the tone of the Pilot TV well, podcast. I don't get me started. Appreciate don't that. get me started on the postponing of the MasterChef final because of oh. the death of uh, <laughs> Prince Philip. I mean, that's I, the real uh, tragedy, isn't it, boy? <laughs> Steady. I mean, you, whether you want to keep that in or not is up to you if you want to get in trouble. But um, I, let's just say the BBC took an inordinate amount of time to schedule the MasterChef final. It Days went by with not even a people. Like, when is it going to be on? And finally mm. it was on on Wednesday and it was a very good and I love MasterChef. Right, let us move on to this week's listener question. And this week's question comes from Darren Morris. And he says, now that the US version of Shameless has come to an end, what TV show has been successfully slash unsuccessfully imported from different countries um which is an interesting one bong joon ho talked about this about the what did he call it the the one inch barrier 
that you get, which is that subtitles just make some <laughs> things inaccessible to people. I didn't. Can I just say I didn't even know you were going to lead on the language element of it because the the question you sent us was all about Shameless, the US, which is just an American version of an English language yeah. show. So it's both. It's both. Yeah. So okay. it's, it's fine. It's important. So, I'm just, so okay, it can be an fine. American version of an English show. Oh, okay. It can be an English you. language version okay. of a Swedish show. All right. It's all good. I'm just but checking. I'm just saying, like for Bridalson, great. You know, but I got really into the killing. Right. You know, with Mireille yeah. Inos and uh, oh, and, and really? Joel Kinnaman. Oh, for Bridalson was so much better. Oh, the I know killing it is. was I know amazing. It is. I know. Same with Bruin. Oh. So anyway, the killing uh, obviously yeah. has been yeah. turned into okay. an American show, which, to be fair, was not bad. It was not as good. No, not by any means. It just yeah, it wasn't yeah. nearly as. And it pitched. went on a bit too long. Um, and yeah. and Bruin has, has become two shows. It's been the Bridge, the American Bridge, and the Tunnel, which was the UK loads Franco of, loads of one. Oh. So that's I mean, uh, yeah. that's obviously had some some movement as well. Yeah, but uh, I I gave up on the Bridge, the American Bridge. Unfortunately, it wasn't oh, really yeah, doing sorry. it for me. Sorry. I the, didn't watch the, the American version of The Returned because The Returned was fantastic, mm, wasn't it? It got cancelled, yeah. didn't it? it yeah. I think it got cancelled. So, oh, mm. I, I just didn't bother them. Which is a shame. Um, Homeland was originally Homeland, an Israeli yeah. show, Prisoners of War. Ooh. In fact, Euphoria was an Israeli TV show as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's yeah. quite a lot of Israeli stuff. Um, uh, but I, I'm going to say two of the greatest um, series of all time are um, British shows that were exported to America and changed, which are The Night Of... Right, yes. which was the greatest 100% limited series of all so time. Good. And was based on criminal justice um, by Peter Moffat. Uh, and they did an incredible job. That's like an object lesson in how to adapt. Because I think both both are, are brilliant, but the, the Night of definitely steps it up and they kind of take the basic premise of of criminal justice and just completely mm. run with it in, in the most incredible way. Riz Ahmed yeah. Incredible. Um, and you know, but the biggest one, I think, I, I haven't checked, but my feeling is the most successful example of a British show being turned into an American show is The Office. I, I'm pretty yeah. sure yeah. Yeah. of all time. And both both in terms of financially, like that is a massive, massive moneymaker. And still for Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant as executive <laughs> producers of it, who are just rolling in cash from that show. <laughs> but also the fact that it went on for nine seasons and 201 episodes. Yeah, that's And a when lot. that started, I remember the very first, when the first, um, you know, when it was announced, they're doing an American version, everyone was like, oh, it'll be shit. You know, and to start with, it kind of followed with the first few episodes, the British version mm. quite closely, and then, then became its own thing. And it yeah. just became a completely unique, brilliant classic American sitcom phenomenon with the most amazing cast of people um, and characters and it was just and, and, and you almost forget I, th- I, th- I think of it as just this, its own thing that's completely separate no, from I do now. the British one which is also one of the greatest sitcoms of all time in its own right it's and it's still breaking records, wasn't it? Over especially over the last lockdown it yeah. um, was like the most streamed show yeah, yeah. On Netflix, I think. Yeah, I think I, so. I, I think might you're must right. be yeah. wrong with that because Bridges yeah. must fall into that somewhere. But it well, it's was... different, isn't it? In, in America, I think it is on Netflix and it's massive, massive. Yeah, and here yeah. I think it's on Amazon Prime at the moment. It's massive. But yeah. it, it, I think as soon as it did detach from the the US, um, the UK version, which was because the it was almost like cringeworthy that first season where it was like frame for frame, <laughs> the stapler and the jelly. And then as soon as it gained a real sense of heart, I think is is when it sort of yeah. got its own legs and oh and the cameos in that show are fantastic you've got Jim Carrey it just Elba comes in for a while and has the most fantastic cameo yeah. like it just it was the show that everyone wanted to be on as well which was wonderful yeah, uh, unsuccessfully though I went down like a real wormhole of that because there have been some real fucking terrible ones I'm in there like um, the in-betweeners just didn't yes. land oh, there yeah. was yes. um, a pilot of 
the IT crowd with John yep. McHale in it, which um, didn't work. John McHale as Chris O'Dowd, which is just wild recasting for me. Uh, skins didn't work. I saw that uh, Abfab, the rights were bought by <laughs> Roseanne Barr, yeah. who wanted to do a version with Carrie Fisher, which genuinely, if Carrie Fisher had been in charge of that, I would have loved to have seen. Yeah. Um, but that didn't work. But no, um, yeah, I only thought of of the US office and um, Shameless as like the only really successful remakes. I'm dreading the American remake of Starflet's Flats. I think that's going to be dreadful. I mean, um, surely it can only be an improvement. Shut up, Starflet's Flats. Shut up. This country is coming. This oh, country good. American version. Was it going to be called that country? <laughs> no, I think it's still called this country. But Sean William Scott is in it. Like, yes. for example, you know that is going to be wild. Honestly. I'm fascinated by that. Did you watch the American Life on Mars? No, no. I didn't. No, it's another one that I, I mean, remember. It, it. I think that, yeah. that did it get one season. I forget what it got, but I it certainly so. did. Because the American Red Dwarf, I don't think really took off at all, did it? Like that piloted. I don't know if it got a season. Don't think it did. But the no, American Cracker so. ran for I think a season uh, yeah. and was yeah, not good. Right. Yeah. Then, you know, no one can do fits like Roy Coltrane. The American Broadchurch, which also oh, yes, Grace Point. discussed before, Grace yeah. Point. <laughs> also had David, David Tennant. Tennant. Yeah. That's one of the most insane examples ever. <laughs> what yeah. is that? Ugly Betty. Yeah, that was a Colombian telenovela. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. So that started out over there. Ugly Betty was really good to start with. It I was think. good. It probably, it probably carried on being really good. I just yeah, kind of probably got... did, but we don't watch it. We didn't watch it, and it instantly became terrible. <laughs> you know, you know, humans. The uh, you know, Gemma yeah. Chan humans. Yeah. That started out as a Swedish show. I didn't uh, realize yeah, that. Yeah, there's quite a few Scandinavian. Uh, I was going to mention um, Temple. You know Temple, which I really mm. liked. The yeah, um, Mark Strong. Mark Strong. Series 2 is coming of that. That was also a um, based on Norwegian. Yeah, Valkyrian. Yeah. But that's such a kind of extreme concept of, you know, this whole, this this doctor having an underground um, surgery, if you like, private surgery for criminals and dodgy types beneath Temple Tube Station. See, I was so specific. And yeah. yet, actually, it was based on exactly the same idea in the Norwegian setting. Yeah. So that's, that's really funny. funny. And not a million miles away from Rush, which we're yeah. going to be oh, talking about later in the show. <laughs> yes, that is so true. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that's more or less covered off that, Darren. I hope that has been helpful to you. If you have a question for the Pilot TV podcast, do feel free to. Do you know what? The best way, as I said last week, I think the best way is to DM it to at Pilot TV Pod. Uh, thank you to everyone who did last week. There are a bunch in there that I need to go through and will comb through over the coming weeks. Um, but yes, do chuck them there because when they come into my personal feed, i be honest, I forget about them. So sorry. Time now. For this week's guest, yes, we have a guest, and it is none other than the genius creator of Battlestar Galactica, Ron D. Moore. Uh, Boyd sat down with him for seven hours to talk about <laughs> Battlestar Galactica and all the ins and outs and various nuances of that show. Uh, no, of course he didn't. Naturally, I would have done it if that had been the case. No, uh, Ron D. Moore sat down with Boyd to talk about For All Mankind, the finale of which airs this week. Uh, and so he had a big old chat with Boyd about the show and I, I was about to say he had a bit of and this is what they talked about except I can't tell you what they talked about because Boyd hasn't done the interview yet you see he's doing it this evening so I'm just going to say they talked about the show and the finale and what it means to be making a show 
And Ford, what else are you going to ask him? <laughs> Give us a preview. <laughs> um, well, it, you know, it's one of those things where you're encouraged. I think I think the phrase is questions are only should only be about the show. So don't expect much Battlestar Galactica because that's not oh. the show he's talking about. Boyd, if you don't mention Battlestar Galactica, I'm going to cut <laughs> oh the interview. God, I'm going to, I'm going to record well, my own. If you want to, if you want yeah. to face off against Apple TV, <laughs> yeah. plus, yeah. Then that's I it don't care. You. I don't care. This is my mission to you, Boyd, is you have to at least bring it up. It has yeah, to be in there somewhere. <laughs> I will bring it up. Of course, yeah, I'll just, bring it just up. Just a simple, why is Battlestar Galactica so great? That will be fine. Yeah, no, okay, yeah, good. Okay, right, fine. so listeners, here is here is Boyd's Battlestar Galactica-themed interview with Ron D. Moore. <laughs> We're in the lead-up to the season two finale of For All Mankind, and the first thing that struck me, having watched the, the final episode, which is among the most incredible um, 75 minutes of TV I've seen in a long while, is did you have this trajectory in mind for this show when you first created it, when you first co-created it and um, came up with the idea of doing this alternate history of the space race. Was, was this where you were leading up to? Uh, it was certainly part of the conversation. We didn't, we, uh, we worked out a fairly long arc for the show over multiple seasons, you know, with the idea of the pro space program uh, expanding and changing and influencing events on earth. And we sort of talked in general terms about each season and what they would kind of lead to. And we always knew from the beginning that the second season was going to be a cold war piece it was going to be get to sort of a missiles of October kind of kind of crisis at the end with the super with nuclear apocalypse hanging in the in, hanging in the balance and that ultimately it would live or die on what happened in space. So yeah, in that sense, we definitely knew this is where we were heading. Yeah, the stakes could, couldn't be higher, could they? Really, and it, it strikes me what's fascinating about the show, among other things, is that you're mixing very intimate storylines with the characters. You know, down to. I think like the shaming storyline in this in this series I thought was fascinating, um, and uh, and storylines about um, people having affairs and sexuality and gender and all of that with this global, incredible, globally significant um, stuff that's happening. Is that is that intermingling of those of the kind of um, intimate with the epic? Is that difficult to juggle those elements? At times, I mean, it's always though our focus in the writers' room is always to bring it back to the characters. Like you know, we want to tell this big, epic, sweeping tale, but it's through an intimate lens. Like you said, it's really about these people and how these world events have affected these people and how the, how these people affect world events. So it's always our conversations on every story always come back to our characters. How is this affecting our characters? <clears throat> how are they impacting the story? What does it say about them? And of a show of this scale and ambition, did, you know, you obviously you, you, you show ran Battlestar Galactica all those years ago, what, 12, 13, 15, 14 years ago. Did what you learn on that show help you when you're show running something like this? Or is it a completely different experience now, kind of, you know, over a decade later? Uh, they're very, they're more similar than they are different. You know, technology changes, certainly the world of visual effects changes very quickly. And so you're always trying to keep ahead of what the new technology is and, and the tools that you have available to, to you. Uh, but it's still, the fundamentals are still, are kind of unchanged almost since the dawn of television uh, in terms of show running and, you know, team of writers, cast, trying to construct narrative and story and what are the production challenges day in, day out. And, meeting a budget, meeting a, a schedule, dealing with the network, dealing with the studio. Um, when I read the, uh, the books, these are the voyages about uh, the original Star Trek series a couple of years ago. And I was fascinated to just realize how similar the job is to what I still do to this day. So yes, the experience of Battlestar 
definitely informs what I do because it just learns a lot of learning in, in terms of production and in terms of being a leader of a team and you know getting everybody to pull together towards the same goal and getting more sophisticated about story structure and, and so on. But the job is still pretty much the same job. And I think that uh, I feel like you're, you're dealing with some similar themes and also you're kind of, you know, Battlestar was, was, was hardcore science fiction, but also it was dealing with big ideas of, you know, uh, uh, big political ideas. And this, again, this happens throughout For All Mankind. Is that something, do you, I mean, do you even think about what genre this show is? Because it feels like it's everything. It feels like it's kind of, you know, it's relationship drama, it's science fiction, it's alternate history, but really it's stories and it's characters. I, yeah, I just think of it as stories and characters. I, I, I stop even thinking about the genre. It's it's interesting when people remind me that the show is science fiction, I kind of go, oh yeah, that's right. It is, it is science fiction. Right. I don't really think of it in those terms on a day-to-day basis. I, I kind of think of it as an an alternate drama, you know, or something. It's a historical piece. It's a period piece with a twist on it or something. Yeah, it reminds me of something like Mad Men in, in the sense of, the, the kind of yeah. what, it's, what it's dealing with and how it weaves in those, those storylines with the bigger picture something like that mad men was very influential influence? yeah i was a big fan of that right. show and it was very influential i mean the roots of the show come from a casual conversation with zach van amberg who's the co-president of apple tv plus who had wanted to do a, a mad men style show at nasa set in the 70s and that's kind of the you know the the the, the origin of, of the whole thing so mad men really set a standard about realizing a period but really making it about the people within that period and it's interesting because I think some some you know the episodes are there's there's a lot going on but they do take time to breathe you know sequences go on perhaps longer than some normal TV we used to and then you're building up to this incredible finale is that does it help that you're you take time if you like to have characterful and big scenes sequences and then you have this huge big action packed tense spectacular finale I think it does and I think it makes for a better story I think the more time you spend with the characters and let the scenes breathe like you said you know, take your time with it. Don't be impatient. Uh, you know, trust that the audience will go on this ride with you. I think a lot of times people make the mistake of saying, the audience has no patience. You got to go faster. You got to cut faster. You got to make it fast, fast, fast. The audience has no attention span. And I kind of think, kind of think that's bullshit. I think the audience has attention uh, for the things they want to pay attention to. So if you're telling a good story and you're telling it about interesting characters, they're going to stick around and they're going to wait and see what happens. And the longer you do that, the more of a connection you build with the audience for the characters. Then when you get to the faster paced stuff, the really action stuff, they're really with you because they really care about those characters. They're intimately involved with those characters and their fates mean something. You know, when you're watching the finale and your heart is in your throat, hopefully, about what happens to Gordo and Tracy or what happens to Danielle or what happens to Ed, it's because we've taken the time to build that connection for you. I mean, the use of music is, is, is incredible. You've got everything, the band, the Clash, Wagner, John Lennon, the Pretenders. Is that, do you put those songs in the script? Do you mention them? Or that is, how early do you decide which songs to use for which sequence? Uh, it depends. You know, it's a little bit of both. So there are certain songs that the writers will put in the scripts because they're important or they, they want to use them. Like I put in ACDC's Back in Black in that episode because I just had an inspiration of that's the song that we're going to take Gordon to the moon on. But others are things you play around in editorial and your music supervisor will pitch ideas or, and songs and the editors, every editor I know has a big bank of, of music that they will temp track things with. And sometimes it comes from them. Like in season one, you know, using the Frank Sinatra version of, of my way 
on the moon was an inspiration from one of the, the assistant editors, which was fantastic. And I fell in love with as soon as I saw it. So they, they just kind of come from a lot of different sources. And without um, spoiling it, the last song in, in season two, which, it, which runs along an incredible kind of visually spectacular sequence, did it take you, uh, how, where, how, who came up with that idea for that song? Because that comes out of nowhere. I was, I was amazed by that song choice. Yeah, I think, that was, I think that was Matt and Ben who wrote that episode. I think they, and they put that in the script uh, because of what we did in season one. When we ended season one with the Tears for Fears song, it was such an, uh, an iconic song that pulled you into the 80s. We knew that we wanted a song that pulled you into the 90s. And, and that song is the one that, to, to us, is like most emblematic of, of the 90s. And did you always have the conceived that you, you would jump to a new decade in each season? Is that part of the whole conception of the show? Or is that something that you, you decide to do after season one and you're sticking with it? No, it was part of the conception of the show. It was, uh, that was part of the pitch was that... Uh, and we did that because we wanted to give the space program a chance to change and evolve. And the only way to really do that is to do it through the through a multi-generational story, jumping through the decades. Because if the show had stayed in the 70s, you never would have gotten very far in terms of the space program. And to really see it move and change and change the world, it felt like you had to take this unique structure and jump ahead like about 10 years at a time. And then we also realized that that was fun for the audience. Like the audience then gets to see, oh, it's, this is the season of the 70s. Oh, this is the season of the 80s. And now the 90s. And that, that's like a, an interesting format that the audience is not used to and hasn't seen before. And anything that's unique in television is something you should try to grab onto if you can. Absolutely, yeah. And do you prefer, uh, like the, on Apple TV Plus, this show runs, you know, it's, it's running weekly. We've got, you know, in a week's time, as we're talking now, the finale will arrive. And for fans of the show, I think, that works very well, that kind of, that, that weekly treat, if you like. It, it, do you prefer this way of it rather than the kind of binge viewing of dumping the whole thing in one go? Well, I think both have their pluses and minuses. What I like about this format is it does give, it gives a chance for a community form. It allows the audience a chance just one time to sort of be able to talk to their friends and their colleagues about it. You know, what we used to call the water cooler moment when there were water coolers before the pandemic. You know, the ability to watch a show and then the next day have a conversation with people in your social circle. Did you see what happened last night? Oh my God. And to have a week where you could speculate and write and talk and sort of have the fun of trying to guess what's going to happen next and debating what happened last week and arguing about it. And you only get that chance one time on the original airing because once the season is done, then it's going to be a binge forever. Like you can binge it forever after. But I do like the idea that you get this opportunity to build a community of fans and a community of people who are having a, a mutual experience together. And do you, is it, is it different? You know, how, what's the experience of like working with, with Apple? Is it in terms of creative freedom? Is it, I, I, you know, I think one of the things that we assume about this world of streaming services, you are given a lot more creative freedom maybe than you would be with a network. Is that true? Uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to make that generalization now because there's so many streaming platforms and there's so many networks and they all kind of, it's not just the big three and the streaming platforms. There's cable, there's just everything. Um, but my experience with Apple is that they do give us a tremendous amount of creative freedom. They always have, you know, they want their, what matters to them is the quality of the show. They really care about how good the show is. Uh, they care about the quality of the writing, the quality of the physical production, the way it looks, the music, the sound, the, the picture, you know, they want it to be top notch because that's kind of what Apple is known for is delivering a high quality pr product to users and now to an audience. And so they're very supportive 
of the creative vision of the show, which is fantastic for someone like me, because it does give you a lot of freedom, a lot of room, room to run and to take a gamble on a unique show that is different. You know, a show like this has never been, I, I, it's just never been done before. And it takes guts to sort of bank, to spend this kind of money on something no one else has ever done. Once it's been done, then everyone wants to copy something. But the first one is always the dangerous one, and there's always penalties for, for guessing wrong. But Apple's willing to, to, to sort of make that guess. And you, you, uh, have, you have references, you smuggle references into Star Trek. There's a Wrath of Khan discussion in this season. There's, um, there's a whole, uh, there's a quotation from the original Star Trek in, 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 in the finale, but that's one thing. Is that something that you do, that's just automatic to you? That's part of the general kind of um, texture of the show? Yeah, it's just kind of, you know, it's fun for me. And, you know, there's uh, two other writers on the show, uh, David Weddle and Bradley Thompson, who are a team of writers I worked with at Deep Space Nine. So, you know, uh, they're the ones that put in uh, the the extended quote in the finale. And I put in the Wrath of Khan uh, earlier. Um, But it's it's just kind of fun. You know, it's part of our roots. And it's it's nice to say that Star Trek matters to these people, too. I think you use them in incredibly kind of uplifting and, and kind of inspirational way. Yeah. Is there, is there a reference that we may not have noticed? Is there something that you sm- you've got in there that perhaps is, is, is slightly more subtle that we may not have realized? Uh, there's a brief passing reference in episode one to the space shuttle enterprise, which is now not just a test vehicle in our reality, but is actually a functioning, you know, working vehicle. And it's just only really referenced once in dialogue in the first episode. And if you looked carefully at the, all the mission patches that are on the wall of mission control, there'd be several that were dedicated to the enterprise as, a, as an actual uh, flying space shuttle. Thank you so much for joining us on the Pirate TV podcast. That, that was great. And congratulations on an incredible um, season finale. Great. Thank you very much. That was Ronald D. Moore, the genius behind Battlestar Galactica, as you've just heard. Uh, And time now for this week's news. And I think we can only begin with the triumphant news that Warrior has been saved. (laughs) Warrior, which had been cancelled, has now been snapped up by HBO Max, and it will continue for a glorious, punching, stabbing, hacking third season. I'm psyched. Boy, are you psyched? How psyched are you? Yeah, I liked Warrior. It was really good fun. It was really good fun. Yeah, I'm not sure it's. I have. Did you finish having... season two? No, I didn't finish season two. No. There is a there is a battle in season two, uh, the battle for Chinatown, uh, which is one of the most violent things I genuinely think has ever been on television. Oh wow! There are hatchets. There are blades. There are people being separated from parts of themselves. Oof. It is full on. Like I, I'm I, honestly shockingly so. And it is. I mean, it's a hell of a season two was. So I'm, oh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty psyched the Warriors coming back. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, start, Beth's just start, looking at me just yeah. like, I don't know what you're talking start about. Start watching Warrior as I giggle it. Yeah, it's oh, on Sky Francisco, on demand, I think. Yeah, and now. It's, it's very good. good. Yeah. It's very, I watched that good. after Promising Young Woman. Yeah, yes. yeah exactly. Yes. That was a double kill, yeah. yeah. The real thrill fest. Yeah. I mean, boy, yeah. pizza might last me through both of them, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. But the, I can't believe you started with that news, because actually the, there's only one place to start, really. Well, it's too late now, because you've already started it on that, <laughs> which is that there's going to be a show coming on Disney Plus called Extraordinary. Oh, yes! <laughs> and Terry's not even here. <laughs> She's not here. Terry, who coined the pronunciation of Extraordinary because <laughs> James kept saying it in, the, in, a, in a slightly pompous way. It's <laughs> Extraordinary. And now, Star on Disney Plus. So they, they announced this week three commissions, three UK-based commissions. Mm. And one of them is called Extraordinary, and it's from uh, new talent Emma Moran, and it follows Jen, a young self-aware woman who lives in a world where everybody has a superpower except her, hence the title 
extraordinary. Um, one, what you should also add that um, the other projects that have been commissioned include are the Ballad of Renegade Nell, love it, which which is created by Sally Wainwright, no less, mm. of uh, Gentleman Jack, Happy Valley fame. Now I'm excited about it. It's um, it's a kind of Disney branded swashbuckling adventure series, which is great. Sally Wainwright to be writing that. But all I'll say is, when the fuck are we getting Happy Valley series three? I know, I know, <laughs> right? This has been on the. I mean, it was How announced. How dare she? How dare she take How this lucrative deal with Disney Plus? Do you know what? So when I was watching Mayor of Easttown, which we're going to be reviewing later on, it really made me yeah. think of Happy Valley. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was like, where is that show? Because it Where is so is amazing. That show? I remember, I think they announced Series 3 pretty much as soon as Series 2 ended, which is years ago. Yeah. And... Then I think I remember reading that one of the... I think I mentioned this before on the podcast, that I think the Sarah was waiting for one of the child actors to grow up to for him to use him as a kind She's of... full line of duty. Older actor, going full line of duty. Yeah, exactly. Um... But I mean, I, then I, I read somewhere. Well, no, it might be this year, but nothing. And now she's doing the. Ballad. There's a second series of Gentleman Jack on the way. I think they're fully filmed, and now she's doing this. I mean, I'm not one to tell Sally Wainwright what to do with her, her life and career. <laughs> but please, we need Happy Valley because Happy Valley One and Two is one of the greatest things ever on television. Because James Norton, who plays Tommy Lee Royce in Happy Valley, yes. is in The Nevers. Yes, so, he is. Uh, so he's because yeah. he popped up recently, and it, again, that made me think as well. I was like, where is Happy Valley season three? Yeah, yeah. Where the f- uh, anyway, maybe I'll well, maybe I'll take it on myself to try and find out what is yes. happening. Yes, find out. Call, yeah, find out. I'll find out. I'll find out. What else is happening in the world? Um, Star Trek Strange New Worlds has been quarantined, not because of a triple infestation, but because there has been a COVID-19 exposure. So uh, the crew's been quarantined as a precaution, thereby presumably delaying Star Trek Strange New Worlds for a little while. Uh, we're getting Bridgerton 3 and 4. That was oh, good yeah. news this week. All yeah. the Bridgertons. Yeah. All the Bridgertons all the time, which I think is probably them trying to show like a vote of confidence, I imagine, because obviously it's not been long since they announced that uh, Reggie Jean Page is off yeah. doing like 20 million other film projects now. So yeah. I think the fact that they've now commissioned two more series says they've got quite a lot of confidence in the next one, which is good. Not that they really need it because the viewing figures have got enough to back that up. I would say, and something that excited me yesterday was the Underground Railroad trailer came out. Mm. I think the oh, first yeah. full trailer for it. Which looks fantastic, like Barry Jenkins, Amazon Prime show. Um, you've got an interview, haven't you, in the the new issue, which I'm excited to read with Barry Jenkins about that. So in the new issue of Empire, that. yes, yes. Uh, but that looks beautiful, very epic, very sweeping, very like beautifully sensitively written. I like the fact that on Twitter he he um, he posted it, uh, uh, that that trailer with the started by saying this is what's been my life for the last four years was that that that's a, that's a kind of that does put put the perspective on it when you when you com- completely thrown yourself into something yeah and it's and that's finally ready it's finally arriving i think it's interesting yeah i can't wait for that yeah it'd be brilliant that feature in empire is really good i was reading it it's excellent that's, that's nice. Dad, you've got a copy of the new it. issue i don't have mine yet well, I went and bought it, James. I don't get sent yeah, it. I bought it. Right. Yeah. I see what you're saying. saying. Yeah. Cold, yeah. hard and cash. Yeah. Yeah. I expect it to be sent to me via pigeon or owl. Of course you do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mine hasn't arrived yet. Sorry. Yeah. Hashtag yeah. massively entitled. Um, Arlington Road is a film with, <laughs> among other people, Tim Robbins and Jeff Bridges, and they're doing a TV series of Arlington Road over at Paramount+, Plus, which seems like a slightly odd choice. Arlington Road always sticks in my brain, not just because it has these people in it and it's great but also because the empire slash heat slash pilot tv office is just off arlington road in camden yes. so yes uh, which makes me think of it but yeah so that's coming to paramount plus that formerly was, cbs all access 
wasn't that the story? I, like, I remember liking Arlington. I haven't yeah, it's watched good. it since. It's good. Yeah. It has a big yeah. old twist. Spoiler. Right. right, right. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Big old twist at the end. It's an easy um, or isn't he a psycho kind of story, isn't it? Uh, it, it, right? it's, 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 it's sort of domestic terrorism. It's around right, domestic right, terrorism. Yeah. It's a Mark oh, yeah, Pellington it. film from uh, yeah. it's 22 years old. It's, it's 1999, wow. that film is. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a big of an old one. But uh, don't know who's going to be in the new one, but it's coming, along with the numerous other TV series based on films, which seem to be kind of coming down the pipe at the moment. There's a lot. There's a lot coming. Yeah, I was going to mention The Man Who Fell to Earth. Did you see that? Casting uh, news. I didn't actually. No, tell me about it. Rob Delaney. Oh, yes. Who what? I love. Everything yeah, single thing he great. does. Of course. Of Catastrophe. And in fact, oh, the variety story on this, it, says, it begins by saying, Rob Delaney of Catastrophe and Twitter fame, which is quite a funny <laughs> way of saying. Say. What, really? Yeah. That's what, what they're saying there is he's really funny on Twitter, which he, he is. is. Yeah. He's yeah. amazing on Twitter. But he was brilliant in Catastrophe. He is, so he is co-starring. Chiwetel Ejiofor is the lead. He's the David Bowie character, yeah. the the alien and the man who fell to earth. And Naomi Harris is in it as well. Um, but I think it's uh, like some projects, as you, you know, uh, there are basically the, the job of exec producers and channel and streaming services is literally to go back to old stuff and find something they can turn into a TV series, isn't it? I mean, mm. that's all. Well, that's what they do. That's what they're doing half these people. But it strikes me that this particular project is a really good idea because I think that film and that book are have a very specific. Well, I mean, it's one of my favourite films, the Nick Rogue film, but mm. you could completely redo that story in all kinds of different interesting new ways. Um, and I'm fully um, in favour of it and quite excited about it, yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Any other pressing news? I mean, pressing, no. There's nothing really pressing. Charlotte Copley is going to be in Russian Doll season two. Is it? Oh, I'm yes. excited about well, that, actually. That's a great little cast they've got for that now. Yeah. I'm excited um, about the whole series, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, Russian Doll was great. Can't wait for that. Shalte, yeah. I adore Shalte Copley. That's going to be fantastic. I felt his pecs one on a, on a red carpet. You felt um, his pecs? I beg your yeah. pardon. Beth, that is um, thoroughly inappropriate behaviour. Wow. You assaulted no. Charlotte Copley. I no, it was, it was very consensual. And, oh, really? Um, was it now? Coerced by, so it was for the Ben Wheatley Free Fire film. So I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, the Ben Wheatley Free Fire, yeah. Um, and uh, I was doing a red carpet interview with him and Michael Smiley sort of ambled along and... Um, started talking about his physique and then just just sort of slowly took my hand and like oh, placed it to his chest so there's a sort of red carpet video of me somewhere just just lightly Roping pressing Copley. yeah <laughs> consensually like yeah. completely consensual. i can totally see michael smiley doing that because he is a fun loving <laughs> kind of guy and he's he is a very very funny entertaining person. he's beautiful yeah. i can i can only imagine what that set was like but yeah, yeah. no so i'm i'm here for shelter copy on and his pecs on uh, russian doll fantastic wow yeah. We clearly can't top that story, so I guess we're done with news for this week. <laughs> yeah, let's move hastily on from that uh, while the lawyers will find out whether Beth has committed Consensual. any serious crimes. Consensual. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to this week's reviews, and we begin with HBO's Mayor of East Town, which sees Kate Winslet return to the small screen for the first time since Mildred Pierce. Uh, here as Detective Mayor Sheehan, a cop in a small Pennsylvania town investigating the murder of a teenage girl. Isn't that right, Beth? Yes. It is. And I have been looking forward to her coming back. I love Mildred Pierce so much. And she's in this with Guy Pierce as well. Mm. So it was also Mildred Pierce. I'm very excited to see them together. Uh, it's from Craig Zobel, who directed The Leftovers, um, some of The Leftovers, a little bit of The Leftovers. Um, and written by a guy called Brad Inglesby, who hasn't done much television before, but has written this really very thoughtfully sort of complex 
study of a small town community in Pennsylvania that pivots on the murder of of one of its uh, young women. Uh, And it's up to Kate Winslet's character to sort of fish around and see what's going on in this community that she grew up in. Um, she's sort of a, a mini celebrity in it because this is the kind of, and I hail from a small town, so I know this kind of politics, but she scored like the winning hoop on a basketball game, something like 25 years prior, and is still renowned for it on this day. So she's kind of this revered member of the community. She knows all of the ins and the outs, which is really good for when it comes to solving like petty crimes. But there's this one niggly murder that, you know, one of those darn murders uh, that, that has gone unsolved um, that's kind of been her chip on the shoulder ever since. And then the first episode ends with the murder of, a, of another young woman, um, unfortunately, and that kind of throws her world into orbit. Uh, I've only seen the first episode. Uh, I think it's it's really, really well established in that uh, it really just picks into every single corner of this community. Um, there's just a handful of, of characters in it thus far. I haven't got to Evan Peters' uh, character. He, he comes in later as kind mm-hmm. of a, as a confident young cop to come and help on the case. Uh, But what I really liked about this is you just, you walk into this community and it feels so lived in already. And and that and and wins that for me made it um, because I I don't think it's necessarily treading new ground here, uh, you know it's 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 a unfortunately a crime about a, a young woman who's who's quite brutally murdered, um, which we only see at the end of the first episode. So the the first episode really is getting into the nuances of the community, setting up the characters, seeing where you're going, and a large part of that is is Winslet as mayor, who is this real curmudgeon. So she she is a grandma, she lives with her her mother who's played by Jean Smart, and then her teenage daughter, and then her son, so she's she's this grandma. Uh, She shares a back garden with her ex-husband who's getting remarried just to give some ideas to just how small the town this is uh, but she's this real curmudgeon she's uh the, the details of her i understand that craig zobel and and brad inglesby and her because she's an exec producer on this as well really worked on the meat of her character together and it's such a joy for me to watch that she in one scene she comes comes back after like a like a long shift and she eats these cheese puffs and she sprays <laughs> spray canned cheese onto the cheese puffs and then eats them with just a feet up at the kitchen table it's the most normal moment that i've seen and i'm just so intricately thought out and i think that that is really interesting to me i think plot wise i mean again i'm only going by the first episode it's it's not exciting me just yet but just the build-up of this community and her character especially i find really interesting and fun yeah it's it's interesting i, I i'm really I'm, I'm really pleased we're talking about it this week because i have questions so what was most interesting, one of the most interesting things about it for me is it has. You remember the discussion um, we had a couple of weeks ago about violence towards women in mm-hmm. this type of show, in yeah. murder mystery crime shows, and particularly the trope, and I hate to tweet the word trope, but it is a trope, of the naked young woman corpse yeah. thing, which was, which, was one of, like, which was one of the things that was discussed. Is that why does every crime show have to have the, the corpse of a naked young woman shown? In, in some, some commentators, yeah. some writers, uh, there was an article in The Guardian where it's described as leering over the bodies of naked young women, blah, 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 blah. blah. Now, this does have that moment, yeah. as you say, that a, a, a naked young woman, the corpse of a naked young woman is discovered. 
now of course this this feel, this is a feminist this feels like an absolute feminist piece of work you know it's as you say exec produced by Kate Winslet it's all about her and her life and what she faces and as you say the whole thing about the fascinating backstory of her um her being a champion basketball player in high school and how what that adds to her within the community is fascinating and this whole and there's a whole various different storylines about women being abused in this community by some horrendous men but it does to what the point i was going to make was and i because I, I think i said this at the time i do find blanket arguments saying things like showing those uh, images it should not be done you know with yeah. it i said well actually it comes down to the the detail of these things yeah. and i think all all of these shows have to be discussed you know with reference to themselves rather than necessarily as being part of a movement of, or of tropes. And I, I think, think you can argue it shouldn't be done maybe as much as it is. But yes, course. I definitely don't think we're saying it should be done. What I'm saying is, you know, do the creators of this show then sit down and go, does Kate Winslet <laughs> and Craig Zobel and Brady Winslet go, oh, we shouldn't show the naked dead corpse of that girl because it has become a trope and it's and mm. it's on lots of... A I don't think so. I think you have to cr <laughs> no. make your artistic decisions based on the story you're telling. And so, so what I'm saying is, this is a long-winded way of saying I think this is a really, really good show, and yeah. I think all of all of it, it's totally justified in being about the abuse and murder of young women, mm. and and that is partly what it's about, as well as being about what is it like for a woman like a mayor who is a cop who gets blamed for a lot of stuff that doesn't get solved, and who gets hailed for other stuff because she was a basketball playing hero in high school. It's, it's a character study. A brilliant character study, yeah, and it's a really interesting crime drama, murder mystery, and I and that's my favorite. Actually, that is my favorite genre. It is Happy Valley. That's exactly what well, Happy Valley what, was. This is what I was yeah. going to say. Yeah, and I we do think it's influenced earlier. by Happy mm. Valley. I really do, mm. um, but in a good way. I think she is a, a different character. But it, I think what Beth was saying about the eating is so interesting because I almost felt they were ladling it on a bit thick at some points. <laughs> like she's, there's one scene where she's munching on a hot dog. <laughs> downing beer while driving between like from one place to the next <laughs> that and that's exactly. and it's showing you that this woman doesn't have time to eat properly and all of that i mean it's yeah. you know that her, her, yeah. her reliance on hot dogs and subs and beer as to, <laughs> to 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 exist really i thought was a really interesting character point but it's so determined to be gritty and authentic and unmelodramatic uh, as happy valley was that sometimes it's almost goes slightly too far, almost like too trying too hard, you know, to be normal, that like everyone's normal. They're just yeah. thrown into this world where there's an awful crime. But having said that, that's a that's a that's a nitpicky on my part because I do think I, episode two. Uh, this is how I think um, diligent the makers of the show is. They don't really get into the mystery at all yeah. until episode two, yeah. and then Evan Peters arrives as this detective brought from the outside. And thank God, Evan Peters, who were used to playing freaks and serial killers and, you know, complete monsters in pretty much every show he's ever done, um, is a, just this normal guy. He's totally really grounded. Normal, mm. Really grounded, lovely guy, trying just to be a decent bloke. And, of yeah. course, um, it's a kind of like buddy. Then it becomes like a buddy story because Kate Winslet Mare resists him because she's annoyed and offended that he's been brought in over her head to help out with the crime that she can investigate herself. But then it, they kind of deal with that quite quickly. And by the end of episode two, it's, it's not I, I'm, it's not spoiling that say she's fine with him. You know, she kind of <laughs> so I, I love the fact that this is being it, realism is it feels like its main drive, one of its main driving creative energies. And I think it's really, really good. You know, mm. I've seen three episodes and I think it's getting and I'm now absolutely fascinated by the crime. 
that she's oh, having great. to solve as I am fascinated by her character and the character surrounding her and she suffers so much there's so much going on it is bleak it's fucking bleak it really is I mean it's yeah. borderline remember what was that twins HBO twins <laughs> drama with um, I know this too much with Mark Ruffalo do you remember that which yeah. was so bleak it was like I couldn't watch it it's but not it, quite that not bad. quite but it get, it's almost there but I just think it's because there is wit and there is humour in this mm. like her relationship with the, with the mother Jean Smart is brilliant it's kind of quite funny so I think thank God for those moments of lightness I think because otherwise it might have been a bit much but I think it's pretty excellent I do I, I really it's, it. it's, it's not an easy watch I think you're absolutely right like the first episode of this I thought I'm not that drawn into it and it is really grim the second episode is when it really kind of catches mm. fire for me and I was like oh okay now I'm really getting drawn into this and I think you're right like while it does have the trope in it it is all about presentation and tone and this and there's something about this that does feel like this isn't there's not a leering quality to it like mm. there's, which there often is when you see these sort of like dead girls there is a slightly salacious leering aspect to it which is horrible whereas with this there's just a sort of blanket of sadness over it and I think it's beautifully, beautifully shot. Uh, and there's also there's a uh, a sequence of female on female violence in the first episode of this, mm. which again is particularly shocking for yeah, that. Incredible, and it's yeah. brilliantly shot. But as you say, like it's the thing with this is, and it, it, she her performance really reminded me of Sarah Lancashire. Actually, like it felt really Happy Valley. Like she's this sort of, you know, sort of long suffering, world weary person. It's sort of an integral part of the fabric of this small community, but at the same time, slightly outside of it. So she's she's part of this, and she's celebrated by them as the lady hawk, this basketball star. She knows everyone. She's grown up with them all. But equally, she's not quite part of the community because she's a police officer, and um, because she's like, oh for fuck's sake, now I've got to deal with you and arrest you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> like it's like it's you know and she's really practical and i thought that character was great the only thing about this is i do feel a little bit like they are heaping the misfortune <laughs> on quite mm. heavily and there's mm. there's a worry for me that it might become a little bit oppressive uh where you just be like oh my god i desperately need to watch an episode of game of thrones just for some lols <laughs> um, but i think the guy pierce code what do you think because i think that because really they've brought guy pierce plays her love interest there's no other yeah. phrase for him is there he's literally like a romantic subplot but I even there, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be really cheesy because they're literally going to try and humanise her by giving her a bloke to fall in love with. But actually, and that is, is what, that's exactly what's happening. But it's done so well. He is so yeah. good. Yeah. You know, he's the hot literature professor writer. And, and their scenes together are so kind of effortlessly good that even they even get away with that i thought they they did that really well yeah very very good indeed always lovely when kate winslet comes to television uh this is no exception mayor of Easttown drops on sky atlantic on monday april 19th at 9 p.m it's a limited series isn't it boyd how many episodes i think it's seven weirdly we think seven, yeah, seven. episodes. It's seven. <laughs> seven I can episodes. confirm it's seven. And it's showing on a weekly basis it won't drop in all in one go which i think yeah. is a good thing no one needs that much grimness all in one sitting yeah Next up this week, we are dabbling in a little necromancy and resurrecting a show that's been dead for eight years as uh, Fox UK continues its run of exhumations with 2014's Rush, a.k.a. the show Tom Ellis did before Lucifer, which was cancelled in 2015. Uh, Ellis plays William Rush, an LA doctor who does discreet jobs for dodgy clients, kind of like a Ray Donovan, but, you know, with a stethoscope. Uh, what did you think of this one, Boydie? Well, it is, you're right, it is like, House meets Ray Donovan meets uh, something Temple. else. <laughs> Temple, yes, right, exactly, Temple. Um, and so the first scene of this, the first scene establishes the tone. The first scene is him snorting cocaine <laughs> with a beautiful woman in LA. 
Um, and she's snorting even more cocaine than he is, and she has a she has a medical reaction to it, and he has to take it to hospital. And you know, he's so he works in his he's a maverick, loose cannon doctor, brilliant doctor, genius doctor, who kind of has his own private practice where he helps famous people and people in trouble and criminals, frankly, um, stitches them up literally, um, saves their lives, and makes huge amounts of money over it. And he's very handsome and sexy, and um, is in heavy quotes a womanizer. Um, <laughs> she's that old. <laughs> fashion term um and yes his best mate works in the hospital played by Lorenz tate and he's a normal he's a nice good dude uh, who occasionally needs to call upon T tom's character rush to help him out and do you know what it's like what i find most fascinating about all of, so fox now as, as we've said before fox the uk version of fox which is completely separate kind of thing to the fox channel in the us which is the fourth major network on american tv the Fox Channel here um, on the Sky and Now platforms, it's now become literally the repository <laughs> for cancelled shows, for cancelled old shows. But it's kind of, if you're into TV, right, If you as we are, obviously, by definition on this podcast, <laughs> I find it's interesting because they're object lessons in why is this, why did this show, so now the most interesting thing while you're watching it is, why didn't it work, this show? Why was mm. it cancelled after 10 episodes? Because... In a way, it's got all the elements. It feels like a more... It was made for the USA Network, so it's got sex and drug-taking and swearing and a bit of nudity, which House couldn't do. So it's got kind of... You know, House was amazing instantly, pretty much. Now, I think the answer to why it didn't, what doesn't work is because it feels soulless. And I think it's all very well kind of establishing a world where everything's slick and over the top and there's loads of coke snorting and you kind of celebrate the fact that you can show that and you celebrate the fact that your anti-hero figure is a coke, an unapologetic coke snorter. I'm, I'm mentioning coke a lot, but it is, the whole first episode is drowning right. in parts of cocaine, right? It's like a Scarface with Al Pacino. Um, so, but because that is, you've established that as your tone, it's very hard then after that. Then, then, so there's a storyline episode one which deals with um, abuse of women, right? And when it got to that storyline, I don't know what Beth thinks, but I, I found it uncomfortable viewing. Yeah. And I found it like, if you're going to start with almost like a frivolous, um, slick thing, almost celebrating the fact we're going to have um, people having sex and taking coke, to then have a really serious, bleak, storyline involving abuse of a hor horrendous violence towards a woman by committed by a man you have to be really certain of your tonal shifts and i don't think it was and it felt like a soulless way of using that kind of um theme and that idea to kind of give weight to your frankly weightless you know slick show so i kind of resented that storyline i have to say um Whilst at the same time, you know, it's inherently powerful to have, you know, you know, to have that kind of storyline. If, if and it was well acted by everyone involved, but I got to the end of it, and I thought, no, I don't want to carry on watching this show. And I could see why it didn't work and why it wasn't why it wasn't recommissioned. Even though I love Tom Ellis, you know, we had him mm. on the podcast; he was brilliant. And um, but this didn't does not work. I think. Yeah, mm. no. Well, uh, Boyd was talking about that tonal shift. My eyes just, if they could have rolled any further back. <laughs> yeah. It was like a proper Liz Lemon, like eye roll, like it hurt to do, but it's worth it because I, I completely agree that the tonal shift in this was, it wasn't chaotic. It felt measured, but it, it I think it's just a testament to how much representation has evolved since 2012 or whenever it came out. 14, I think, yeah. 2014, sorry. And, and, and how much more sophisticated the treatment of those subjects 
has become because you're right it started with this very glamorous ordeal that intended to to shock I guess and then it went to him going straight from that to you know an athlete and and his position within that was so shocking in itself in that he instantly goes over she's been beaten up and he says to the guy over his shoulder you know at least you could have taken off your rings before stitching her up and then he's off again gallivanting there's a weird kind of will they won't they with an ex-girlfriend that takes place as well and I yeah I found it to be just too light of touch I think you either take he there's there's a redemptive arc so he he tries to come back around at the end of that episode but by then it's just a little bit too late for me to make me invest in in him or his story and I guess all I can do is watch it through the context of today and I've just seen too much of that I mean that's been going since what like Californication where he you know there was this kind of idea of a womanizer set in like mm. a glamorous location and and you know gets oh, that's away. genuinely funny <laughs> it's very funny and it's got charm and you know I mm. another thing I'm unsure of is, is where Tom Ellis was at that time as well you know was he Lucifer then was he a, a known name you know, that could really throw his weight behind a series and carry it off because I'm not sure that he was quite there yet. And that's probably why part of the reason why Rush didn't work. Um, but yeah, I just think we've come too far to invest in a show like this. Yeah. Um, and it was actually quite damaging some of the messages around things like domestic abuse and, and, um, gang warfare as well there was like a weird chaotic subplot as well where one of his um dealers gets caught up in some shady business and he has to immerse himself in that and that just felt a bit too stereotypical and light of touch to um really hit home yeah mm. it's uh i just don't know who's gonna watch it really no i, I think <laughs> the one thing they did well with this show was the casting and i think tom ellis was a very good choice if you're going to make this show you need some it's like californication works because david Duchovny is so effortlessly charming it's also extremely well written by tom cabinas but um i think the thing with this is tom ellis does his best to humanize and make the character of rush likable he fails but it's not through any fault of his yeah I mean, like he has yeah. an inherent charm yeah. and he makes you hate rush less than you otherwise would do uh which is very much to his credit but yeah he's really unlikable he's a grade a bellend and especially because the the you know the plot and you talk about the domestic abuse plotline it serves it's it's purpose there is character development for him like that is the point of that plot line and it is un we talked about you know these kind of things being salacious there the graphic nature of the in injuries in that are too much like far too much like mm. it, the, the scene as itself is deeply upsetting and it's so unpleasant and it it sullies the rest of it and then you've got this as you said the incident with the gangsters which just seems like it's from a different show like it just yes. seems really pulpy and silly and i wasn't quite sure where we were able to sort of you know where we where was our entry point like what were we supposed mm. to latch onto with this because i found nothing um i enjoy him i think he's great but you know there's a running gag about how he listens to cds and his cd player keeps skipping it's just like that's not enough to save the tone of this at all um i am unsurprised so so i think boy's absolutely right we should look at fox uk as uh it's a, it's an interesting academic study it will present you with a show and you have to guess over the course of however many yeah. episodes why it was this show got cancelled yeah. yeah. and i'll name that tune in one i think from this very first episode we already know why rush got cancelled yeah not it's a like, not a great loss frankly listener we would not be reviewing the show were it not for the fact that shadow and bone was heavily embargoed 100 <laughs> 100 we can't talk about Shadow and Bone, so we're talking about Rush. Yeah. 
Oh, that sound you hear is the scraping of the bottom of the barrel. Um, anyway, should you feel the need, Rush does air on Fox UK uh, from Thursday, April 22nd at 10pm. And finally this week, we have Starstruck, a BBC Three comedy starring comedian Rose Matafeo, who is excellent uh, as a woman who, while out clubbing one night, ends up in bed with a famous film star, as one does. Uh, tell us about this one, Beth. Yes, so I completely agree with you. Rose Matafeo is, uh, I just adore her. She's so dryly funny and yet completely charming and watchable. She was in a great film uh, that was out, oh, what is time? Baby Done. A, no, <laughs> I, Baby Done, but I can't remember when it came out. I think oh, earlier this year. Yeah, this year. Was this year? 2010? 2021? Who's to say? Yeah. Time um, is meaningless. Like. <laughs> Where am I? But no, she was in Baby Done, which was this, so she's she's a New Zealand comedian and she was in this wonderful uh, rom-com with Matthew Lewis, aka uh, Never Long Bottom. Yes. <laughs> pick, a, pick a weird pairing and just shove yeah. it together and see what happens. And it worked. Like, she is a fantastic lead and she's got to essentially run a mark with BBC Three, which is, as we know, the home for great comedy these days. And so BBC Three has given her this home for her show, which, as as James has said, though, she's a millennial, she's a bit of a burnout, she's working two jobs, and she loves to party, and she hates most people, but seems to love a very small handful. And then, yeah, she has this one-night stand with Tom, who's played by uh, Nikish Patel, um, and she finds out the next day that he is, <laughs> via a massive poster of him downstairs <laughs> in his own home, uh, that he is he's a, a Hollywood movie star. And, um, you know, as most of us were, completely freaks out. And um, they begin to have, I've, I've only seen the first two episodes, but they begin to have a sort of casual thing that holds a lot of promise that it could be something else. And she's completely largely unimpressed with him which i think is partly why he is is enraptured by her and that's why it works and they've got fantastic chemistry as i say her comedic timing is fantastic there's there's going to be inevitable comparisons to fleabag just because she is very unapologetically sexually liberal there's in the second episode she has a one night stand with someone on a canal boat and does this fantastic sort of dance on the way home um so i think and she's got that same sort of air of of um dryness and and self-deprecation around herself she's not posh <laughs> there's no there's no like the class is is very different but um i really enjoyed this it's set around by where i live as well so it really did it was nice to see slightly a slightly different side of london shane um she works in a fantastic cinema called the castle cinema which is around by me and um I think it's a really confident show, considering she's not written and starred in her own show before. She's kind of bridged the gap. She was um, part of a, a group in New Zealand, and now she's over here doing like, yeah, eight out of 10 cats. And um, she's just had like a stand up special out as well. And I think this is a really confident voice, and she's really enjoyable to watch. It's not delivering much new in terms of what she's saying about the female experience and, and being a, a millennial in London necessarily, but it's really entertaining. She's got great chemistry um, with Patel. Mini Driver is in this as well as his agent um, as this fantastically like unapologetically judgy, like tight-lipped agent. And I've only seen her in one scene and she's like already my favorite. Like she's, she's, she's great in this. Um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. As I say, not, not really boundary pushing, but just very entertaining and fun and strong 
I loved the scene. I'm glad you mentioned her. Was she working in the cinema, in the art house cinema? Because the scene where she has to deal with an entitled twat um, bloke who demands to know why she hasn't seen certain films or what her favourite films are is hilarious and brilliantly observed. I loved that as a classic kind of um, you know person who goes to those those films like me. Um, uh, I, I love that scene. I like. I, I, and it's interesting you brought up Fleabag because it is going to. So BBC is going to be on BBC Three all in one as one box set on Sunday next Sunday, and then on the Monday night they're showing it on BBC One in the Fleabag slot at ten forty five on BBC One at night. So they clearly, you know, th- th- there is that connection. I, I think she's brilliant. Um, I loved her. Yeah, she's she she's one of those people who does. She's a, she's a comedian, so of course she does comedy panel shows, and a lot of people like James will look down their nose on comedy panel shows. But of course, would I lie to you? For example, is one of the greatest things on TV, as I always mentioned and comedy panel shows can be really brilliant and fun when they have someone as good as her on and she's mm. always great value on every comedy panel show she does that stand-up special was great but this is a, um, for me this is like and I really like the film uh, like Baby Dunn as well but this, she has created this show and um, with Alice Sledman she's co-written it with her and the whole idea is hers and the whole driving force of it is her and she's, I think she's done a brilliant job because I think it, you know rom-com it's a rom-com and I think it's really uh, you love both those characters you love her Nikesh Patel is brilliantly cast because mm. he's a handsome Ooh, yeah. really lovely guy who also happens to be a gigantic global successful movie star and that totally works that bit of casting is brilliant um, I love seeing Mini Driver I've loved Mini Driver since her glorious turn in Goodwill Hunting oh and, yeah you know absolutely brilliant and to see her back uh, quite rightly on the screens is fantastic and that is a great role for her you're right she's she's superb I love her I love everything about this I think it's really clever and funny and enjoyable and it's got a lightness of touch that are kind of which which makes it it's definitely not like I don't think it's 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 on the surface of it's like Fleabag every any comedy driven by a woman is, is compared to Fleabag these days but this feels completely different but I think it's great, and I think she's done a brilliant job with it. It looks great. It's um, it's fast moving. The, the 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 story cracks along. Um, I think it's yeah. I think it's rather wonderful. Mm, I agree. It's very good. She's brilliant. Genuinely funny. I think, but as you say, he's he's really funny with it. Yeah. And I think the two of them together are so effortlessly charming and he has a brilliant deadpan delivery and i think they feed off each other perfectly in terms of sort of comedic energy um but yeah i thought this was this was a lovely little show it was a very nice surprise starstruck bbc where where does it air boy where can we see it bbc3 sunday um uh and then monday night bbc1 next monday night bbc1 uh then the whatever it is (laughs) of April the whatever uh, it is of April the 26th. <laughs> so 20, 25th on BBC 3 and then 26th BBC 1 10.45 very good uh, also out this week as you will have heard is Shadow and Bone which is uh, Netflix's adaptation of Lee Bardugo's uh, best-selling Grishaverse novel series um, that drops on Netflix on the 23rd of April april and we'll be discussing that on next week's show anything else we've missed boyd that we should mention yeah i wanted to know ackley bridge which is um channel 4's school secondary school set drama um which i really like i was big i'm a big fan of ackley bridge it's kind of like it's like grange hill but completely reimagined for the 21st century and very much touches upon race and gender and um, um, the politics of school now and is really well done. But it used to be on at 8 o'clock on Channel 4 once a week. They now moved it to 6 o'clock before Hollyoaks on Channel 4 and they're stripping it across two weeks. So there's 10 episodes, but the whole thing will be done within a fortnight, which a lot of people are annoyed about. I think people feel like, you know, that that it's somehow um, being treated badly by putting it on so early. But I guess its target audience is you know 14 15 year old kids so maybe it makes sense i don't know but it's a really well made good show that that 
you know, just the fact that it's on at six o'clock shouldn't prevent grown adults like us from watching it. Is all I'd say. And uh, anything else? Batwoman started season two yesterday on E4 and called The Midwife, which um, is, you know, like a staunch BBC One massive hit, uh, which started yesterday as well, 8 o'clock BBC One. That's back. And, and the, Call The Midwife is a really, really good show. It's a really good mainstream, massively successful show that smuggles in loads of kind of points about, um, you know, socialism basically in the 50s and 60s in London. That is a really, really good show. I think that's probably maybe about it. And what will be our pick of the week? Um, well, yeah. I mean, I've because I've only seen the first episode of it. I'm going to go with Starstruck over Mayor of Easttown. I'm sure Mayor of Easttown is is going to be fantastic, but just by logistics, Starstruck and and obviously the talents of um, the talentses. The talentses. <laughs> I love the talentses of them. She's got that much talent. It yeah. goes beyond the plural to talentses. <laughs> so the talentses of uh, Rose Matafeye. Um, I think this is going to be just really charming and fun and and. Summary. It feels like it's light mm. and going to get me in the right frame of mind. So definitely Starstruck. You could have, couldn't have more of a contrast between the bleakness of Mary yeah. and Starstruck. So I, I, yeah. I, I love them both. Yeah, I think they're yeah, great. It's a two-course meal, isn't it? It's Watch two- Mary yeah. Town yeah. and then decompress with Starstruck afterwards so you don't yeah. hurl yourself out of a window. Exactly. Uh, yes, they're both excellent. Uh, Mary Town will be my pick, but they are both definitely worth watching. Well, that, I guess, is it for this Terryless episode of the Pilot TV podcast. If you would like to leave us a five-star rating, then we are, as ever, very much in favour of that. Uh, and if you want to hear more of our witless ramblings, you can find us on social media at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Beth K. Webb. We'll be back next week when we will be able to tell you what we thought of Netflix's YA czarist fantasy, Shadow and Bone, uh, and very possibly, very possibly, the new series of this time with Alan Partridge, which I fervently hope will see the triumphant return of Martin Brennan. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're wondering. Who the hell is that? (laughs) Pilot out. (laughs) 